This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast, your home for fly fishing the backcountry. episode 70 with Aldo Pescatori Tardioli on winter camping, picky fish, and the perfect cocktail. I would love to get a a history on your uh, time in the outdoors. How'd you get introduced to the outdoors and uh, specifically fly fishing? How'd you get into fly fishing? Yeah, I mean, um, well, I guess it was it was kind of like a family thing um, in the sense that, um, uh, I, much like Mitch, uh, I grew up in the nation's capital in, in Ottawa, and um, and Ottawa, although a very boring city, uh, sorry for anybody listening from Ottawa, but it is, um, it's a government town, um, but it's very clean and it's very beautiful, and the access to the outdoors is very immediate. Um, unlike I would say here in Toronto now, Toronto has amazing parks and we're on the, you know, Lake Ontario and, uh, you can recreate pretty easily, but like we had a giant provincial park, um, you know, 20 minutes away from us where we could ski and snowshoe and camp and fish and, um, all that kind of stuff in Ottawa. So, um, we would go, yeah, my grandfather, you know, he was a big angler and hunter and, uh, you know, kind of by the time my sister and I were born though, um, I was born in 1986, uh, he kind of stopped hunting and um and uh which was kind of a shame because he used to um raise pointers and that would have been cool to like experience to have like 20 pointers running around but uh, but yeah he would take me fishing and and then when i was 10 um uh my my mom for for whatever reason bought me like a like a fenwick like fly fishing 70 dollar fly fishing kit from like uh our canadian tire which is like our canadian equivalent of walmart and uh and i just started the three three rivers run through ottawa the ottawa river the rideau and and uh the rideau canal and i would just ride my bike to the river which was like five minutes from my house and downtown ottawa and kind of like was just trying to figure it out and then a shockingly a fly fishing shop opened in ottawa when i was 13 it was an Orvis store and, uh, I, you know, started going there and learning from them and, you know, one thing led to another and I started working at the store and, and then, yeah, and then I met Mitchie and Yelme and, you know, started doing the podcast and, you know, be, you know, fly fishing became again, a big, big part of my life. Uh, you know, I'd say later on in life, like in my thirties, which was cool. I'd always fly fish, but, you know, getting, getting able to, you know, do the storytelling element of it and, traveling so much like we do like we're so lucky to be able to do um and meet all these people even within our own province um that was kind of my history in the outdoors yeah is is growing up in ottawa and um first fishing with my grandfather and then and then exploring by myself and 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 
yeah, that's how it all started. That's how it all started. <laughs> you, you said Ottawa is kind of a boring town, but then I feel like you proceeded to describe like a really amazing gateway to the outdoors. Do you mean that the city itself just doesn't offer a lot of like interesting city life compared to something like Correct. Toronto? But it sounds like it, it did have some pretty good outdoor opportunities. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Like, um, yeah, like it's it's borders Quebec. Like the, the Ottawa River is the Quebec Ontario border and uh and yeah the Gatineau Hills are there and you know it's not like these giant ski hills but you know it's like Vermont ish style um you know elevation and you know when we all finally got our driver's licenses that's what we would do at night it was night skiing and we'd go skiing and in in Gatineau Park and and uh and go camping in Gatineau Park and actually my high school had a really cool program called Outdoor Ed um when I was in grade 10 so what is that a what is that a sophomore in the states? Um, and uh, and uh, which was really cool because it was like yeah they taught taught you wilderness skills which was cool they teach you you know how to set up camp and and uh, the Ottawa River is really famous for whitewater rafting as well and so okay. we would do whitewater canoeing trips we would do uh, winter camping like learn how to winter camp and like basic survival skills and stuff so I found that that was really cool too because now you know, after meeting Mitch and Yilma and going up to, um, I, I mean, we mention all the time on the podcast, but going, um, up to a, a, one of our favorite places to it's kind of brought that part of my life back to me, which is like the backcountry canoeing element that I learned in high school is now, Oh, all of a sudden returned to my life, which, which is cool. And it's another one of those things where it's like, Oh wow. Like look where fly fishing, look all the places fly, sh- fly fishing takes you. But in this case, it took me full circle. Like it was like right. when I first started fishing, fly fishing really seriously was when I was in high school and I was learning all these wilderness skills in high school. And then university came and moving to Toronto and still fly fishing, but maybe not as much. And then, you know, my thirties hit and, and meeting Mitch and Yelma and starting SoFly and well, they had already started it, but like me joining SoFly, um, uh, you know, kind of re- like um, reintroduced me into, you know, all these skills that I had learned in my teens, but now I'm, you know, using them again to, you know, which is, which was really cool. I think a lot of kids have um, some sort of introduction like that to wilderness skills, either at, you know, a summer camp or something like that. But I wonder how many of them don't ever really get to use them because, you know, maybe they grew up in a, their hobby is soccer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it doesn't come up again. I mean, how, how often are you just going out in the woods and trying to pitch a tent for fun? I mean, it, it it comes up when you need to use that skill. So I think it's fun when you grow up and you your hobbies are relevant to that because then all those skills you learned as a kid that were fun in themselves, you have a reason to use them. Um, no one's just going to go try to build a fire for the sake of it. You know, that you want to <laughs> use it for something. So, so that's cool. You got to kind of um, follow up with those those skills and, and make it a part of your life and career. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is cool. I mean, I wish, you know, coming from... I mean, I guess uh, maybe on, on Ontario perspective, I can't even say Canadian, but Ontario, because um, we have so many provincial parks here and canoeing is so is such a big part of exploring and enjoying those parks. That, and I, I wish, you know, uh, you know, outdoor ed for me anyway, was wasn't part of, it, you know, it was an extracurricular, like it happened before and after class. So mm-hmm. it'd be cool if it, uh, I mean, it'd be cool if it was part of more curriculums i guess because especially in northern communities and maybe it is and i don't know but because your access to the outdoors is like very cool and like maybe it could spark an interest in right you know who knows you know a, a wilderness career yeah even do you still do much in the the winter sports world like do you do much skiing or snowshoeing or anything like that uh, like apart from fishing not not like just trying to get into fish but do you do any of it for right. fun yeah i mean i've if if the, the one not so great thing about Toronto is it, there's no skiing anywhere even close to here. So I would, I would love to be able to ski more often, I think. Uh, but yeah, definitely snowshoeing and winter camping have, have, have come back into my life and, and that's really fun. And, you know, we, we do the great Lakes steelhead thing and, um, uh, those would be the winter sports. I do more often than not. Like, okay. I don't know if I'm ever going to go snowshoeing just to go snowshoeing. I, I like, I like it when it's part of like, your little camping or ice fishing adventure. I, I, I can't, can't say I enjoy snowshoeing that much. <laughs> right. It's a means to an end. <laughs> yeah. It's a means to an end, but skiing, if I could ski every day, I would, I would, I really, really enjoy that. Um, so 
maybe later in life I'll move to the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually something I wanted to ask you about. And I wasn't sure where it was going to fit in, but this this works out nicely because I, I just looking you up before we started to see if there's anything interesting online. And I found a, an article that I think you wrote about um, like backcountry ice fishing, which mm-hmm. uh, like up in Tamagami, which I wanted to mm-hmm. ask you about, like the logistics behind that. And, you know, what what's your camp set up like when you're going ice fishing? And also, just do you do a lot of ice fishing? Yeah, again, this is another one of those things that like we I used to. Okay. Uh, you know, in Ottawa, and then uh, I didn't, and then after, especially meeting Mitch, who is also from Ottawa and also ice fished a lot. Um, you know, if okay, Ottawa is a kind of place where if you don't enjoy, like if you don't get out in in the winter, you're gonna have the most miserable existence because it's like it can get down to minus thirty Celsius anyway, and and it's cold and it's snowy there for a long time, so you're gonna have to kind of embrace it a little bit, like right. even though it's a town of almost one million people. It's really fucking cold and like, uh, <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of snow and, and, and you just go enjoy it, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, all that to say is, yeah, we, so after meeting Mitch and, you know, getting back into going up north to Tomogamy, um, yeah, is where we started, you know, winter camping and, and it's, th- their setup is pretty sweet. We don't cold camp, we hot camp. Oh, nice. So we use um, the brand of tents we use, is, they're, they're called Snow Trekkers. And why I'm mentioning that is uh, there's also a brand called Esker. And the ones that we use now anyway, are they have frames. Whereas the Esker tents, you kind of have to time the trees and cut down a pole and, you know, kind of thing. But it's nice having the snow trekkers because, first of all, you don't have to, you know, ruin any trees. Um, but you also have like a nice frame and, and then there's stoves. And, um, you know, we, 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 we harvest some um, firewood from uh, dead trees. And, and that's kind of our setup. So we've got sleds and snowshoes, like pull sleds and snowshoes, and we'll we'll drag sleds in. And uh, Mitch has a, a mobile ice fishing like pop up hut, and uh, and a propane heater to keep that hot on while we're on the ice. And then we have a bunch of tip ups, and um, and we'll we'll punch holes and fish. And uh, and if anybody saw the content from that last year, it's a whole lot of hanging around drinking beer and. <laughs> And actually, I saw Mitch dance for the first time in my life, which is pretty amazing. And uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of our setup is we try to try to, you know, have enough places where you're warm. You know, uh, the tents do get pretty warm at night. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the first thing we kind of do in the morning after breakfast is like is go for a snowshoe to activate your body, you know, and keep your core temp high. And and then the rest of the day is just spent, you know, kind of ice fishing and, and seeing where it goes. And some trips go better than others when it comes to ice fishing. Like we don't have fancy sonars and stuff like you know the guys that are really serious about catching fish on the ice tend to have that kind of equipment and it really helps <laughs> shocking <laughs> um but uh, we're more there to like you know i would say immerse ourselves in the in the in the wilderness like tomogamy is i know we go on and about it but it is the last old growth forest stronghold in ontario so it's an untouched forest and and it really is like a really special place for sure yeah, I was talking to Mitch about it, and it sounds like it sounds very similar to uh, like the Ontario version, and maybe the, a more hardcore version of our Boundary Waters here. Like just vast and mm-hmm. um, very set up for canoeing. You know, just portaging around yeah. and paddling everywhere. Yeah, what's it called? The driftless. Uh, the driftless area. Yeah. The different. Yeah, I, 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 that seems uh, what kind of a reading I've been doing about the driftless area. It sounds very similar. Okay. Yeah. No. Uh, what are you fishing for when you're when you're out on the ice? Um. There, it's uh, mainly pike, walleye, and whitefish. Okay. Yeah, that's the the kind of like the on everybody in Ontario loves fishing for walleye, or as they call it, pickerel. Um. Oh, they call them pickerel there. Yeah. What do you call pi- <laughs> what do you call pickerel? I don't think anybody thinks their pickerel is a fish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, they think, yeah, like, it's funny. I'm like on this like crusade to make sure that walleye are called by the right name. Um, <laughs> I've never heard but, that before. And you wouldn't if you weren't from this province, but, right. uh, but it's, but walleye is a big game fish here. It's, it's what, you know, growing up watching fishing shows that were produced in Ontario or reading fishing magazines produced in Ontario, even to this day, um, it's a lot of walleye content. Yeah. How to catch them? Where to catch them? How do? I, I, you could argue they're the best tasting freshwater fish in definitely in Ontario. Maybe whitefish would be better, but walleye are just delicious, especially from cold, clean water. They're like 
they really are pretty tasty. So that's why they get, um, you know, that's why they get, uh, they get written about so much because they're uh. the most har- harvested fish because they're the most delicious fish. Um, we don't usually t- typically harvest too many. Um, we eat a lot of walleye if we're really up north where they're, where it's very sustainable. But when we're ice fishing, we, we tend to have food with us anyway. So, um, we'll keep a whitefish though. Love whitefish tacos. So you're, you're kind of picking and choosing. It's not necessarily a catch and keep trip or a catch and release trip. It's kind of a, you know, you're coming with some food, but you may keep one here or there if it fits the bill. Yeah. It's more like, um, I guess would be species dependent. If we're talking about tomogamy specifically, Lake tomogamy was overfished for walleye. Oh, okay. So we try to, there's a big rehabilitation program going. And it's not to say people don't keep walleye, but we tend to not. And it's got a good whitefish population. So we keep the whitefish. They're tasty. And um, and we throw back the pike because like, uh, I'm not trying to clean a pike in the... There's also this added element where like you're ice fishing and then you're winter camping and then you're like cleaning fish and then you smell like that. And then you go to the tent and it's just like, it's, I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's times where cleaning a fish is just not ideal. And if, if, <laughs> yeah. if you don't need the food, then <laughs> yeah, it's easier a, to throw it back. Yeah, there's a lot of lakes in in Tamagami too that are stocked with uh, splake. Okay. Um and splake they you know they're put it's a put and take thing. And uh you know we'll we'll go and you know take a bunch because that's what this they can't reproduce uh naturally uh or allegedly anyway. And uh and we you know if we're really looking to like catch and keep that's what we'll do, you know, but okay. for the wild fish we try to, you know, you know, put them back as much as we can. Do you have many Lakers there? Are are Lakers common in that part of the country? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, for sure. Yeah, we definitely, definitely. I, we've just never caught one. Yeah, but Lake Tomogamy has some pretty amazing lake trout fishing. Uh, yeah, there's a uh, yeah. It's uh, it's got a lot of lake trout. Yeah, and there's a lot of lake trout in the area. It's it it's, it is one of our you know indigenous species. No, why why have you guys not caught them? Have you not? tried to catch them just like not targeting them i assume you probably go a little bit deeper than some of the other species that you might be trying to catch but you know honestly i think i think it's kind of like uh the area we're we're in uh, like lake tomogamy is a massive lake and um i think where we are it's more it's more walleye pike bass whitefish it's not to say there aren't lakers there but i know there's other areas of the lake where like you're you know, the probability of catching one is significantly higher and we don't go that far into the lake. So, you know, we're kind of sticking around like the town. So, um, like our campsites or whatever. Um, so we just, I, not for any good reason. We just haven't caught one. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. There's no good reason. <laughs> we're just blowing it. We're just out there blowing it. <laughs> I, I asked Mitch a very similar question. It sounds like a very rude question when I think back, but we were talking about the Aurora trout and he said mm. that, you know, you guys have gone up and tried to catch them, but um, mm-hmm. didn't quite succeed. And I think I asked mm-hmm. him the same thing. I was like, why didn't you catch one? <laughs> as, as though it's as easy as just deciding to catch one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when, when you're targeting them, you know, you want to kind of think about why didn't it work out? Like, was it the conditions or were we not in the right spot? Uh, so I was just kind of wondering like why, why it hasn't played out that way. Yeah. I mean, oh man, that trip, <laughs> um, it, you know, that trip was like, it's funny. Cause we, we fished a, we fished a lake that was more like a pond and, you know, for two days straight and, you know, maybe I don't know why we didn't catch one. Like, you know, maybe it was a depth thing. Maybe yeah. it was a you know, fly choice thing or time of year thing. Um, but, uh, you know, and then when it comes to Lakers, I think it's probably the fish in my whole life I've targeted the least because it's just not something. It's not really a fly rod species. Like you really have to catch like ice out to get them shallow, and then after that, they're like in hundreds of feet of water, which is like you know, it's just not going to happen for for fly anglers. Um, we're we've been a bunch of guys have been bugging us to go down to the Niagara River because the Niagara River gets a run of lake trout up. Uh, all the way to Niagara Falls, actually. Um, I don't know how far, I don't know if they go all the way up to the base of the falls, but that's the section of river that they run up. Um, <clears throat> and the, I know guys that these guides that's, that swing for them. And so they catch them on the swing, which we haven't done yet. And it sounds amazing because they get up to like 15 pounds. Which I had sweet. no idea that there was any sort of river fishery for them, really. Like, I, I didn't know a lake trout could be caught on a swing. Neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but yeah, we've there's a few there's a few people um, that do th- just that, and it's funny because the season opens like 
like like the ministry opens the season on January 1st. So I know a lot of guys that spend their New Year's Day, like they're like, can't wait to go to the Niagara River. Wow. And But it, the Niagara River is really intimidating. It's it's huge. It's scary. You can't put a boat into it. And waiting it is like not an option either. So you're basically, you know, spay casting from shore. Yeah. Okay. And But apparently if you hit, if you hit the run, it's like bananas. Yeah, that's crazy. I feel like a lot of species have their um, stereotypical habitat. You know, you think of smallmouth, you might think of like a gravel bottom river, but you can find them in some lakes. And it, there's mm-hmm. a lot of species like that. Like I think of uh, walleye as a as a lake fish, but growing, the river I grew up along had plenty of walleye and I'd catch them pretty regularly. But lake trout's one of the, the few species that when I think of it, I think it only has one habitat. In my mind, it doesn't live anywhere but really, really deep lakes. And it hasn't even occurred to me that they could live in a river and run up a river uh, that's just, it's never even come to mind that that was a possibility. Yeah, I haven't done yet, so I wish I could speak more on it. Uh, I, I imagine they're chasing some sort of bait fish. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. And there are actually some rivers uh, that feed lakes in, in, in the region of Tomogamy that also get a, a, a weird kind of lake trout run where they've cho- they choose to run up that river, um, you know, in search of bait or spawning habitat. And that's something we definitely want to do because that's a, like you said, it's a really rare opportunity because like these fish are behaving in a very niche kind of way. So, and they're big fit. Like I have to tell you, they can get really big. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be it would it would be super cool to to target that for sure. We have a uh, a lake around here up in the mountains, probably an hour and a half from my house, that has lake trout that rise to dry flies. Um, they're well, real. They're pretty small, like for lake trout. I mean, they're fine for for any other trout. They're probably 15 to 17 inches or so. Um, nice. But there's a lake that's got lakers and rainbows and they, they come to the surface and I hooked one on a, on like a parachute atoms. And it was, it was really interesting how it behaved because it just immediately dove as deep as it could go. And this lake's really, really deep. Um, okay. So they're coming up to the surface, taking these dry flies and then just like rocketing, like torpedoing do- straight down. And you just watch your fly line Ooh. just drive down over the shelf. Um, so I'm not sure if there's a lot of places where, lake trout do that but it's it's kind of similar to your situation in that you know these fish are just surprising you know the things they do they've got a very well-known habitat and list of habits and then you find these unique locations where they just do something that seems totally outside their their typical behavior yeah which is so cool right i mean like i guess that's you know that's why like jurassic lake is so famous like there's all these trout that are like gargantuan for you know and it's it's these little unicorn scenarios where we're oh yeah here they do this and you're like what right <laughs> I, which is cool it's why I, I guess that's what keeps us exploring you know yeah sorry when you say here where is here for you oh like, here, where are you here for me is colorado oh right okay yep great and where in colorado um i'm outside denver but we're okay cool. we're fishing you know all through the mountains mostly i mean there are fisheries around here but i'm I tend not to focus too much on our warm water stuff, not because mm. I have anything against warm water. I actually really, really love warm water fishing, but for us, it's like downtown Denver and right. you, know, you might be catching for or casting for a uh, small mouths and carp, but there's like tires in the water and, you know, plastic bags floating down, which I totally. just don't, that just doesn't uh, do it for me. So I'm generally going for <laughs> trout up in the mountains. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yeah. I, I've been in Colorado, never, never Denver. I, I got, I was lucky enough to fish the South Platte. And the frying pan and the Roaring Fork, actually. Oh, so yeah, that's a nice area. Yeah, those 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 were the South Platte was like I I didn't you know I definitely had read about the frying pan and the Roaring Fork before, so the South Platte was a bit of a surprise in the sense that I wasn't planning on fishing it, but it ended up being you know like maybe one of my all time favorite rivers. Really, it's interesting yeah. you say that because so the South Platte is what goes through Denver, so it is the one with the tires and stuff. But it does start in the mountains, right. so it's yeah. it's very pretty up there. But um, I, I don't was... know when you were here, but boy, does it get hammered by people. Yeah, I was there in two thousand and seventeen, eighteen. Okay, so not too long ago. Not too long ago, and I was there in the spring. It was like pre runoff fishing. Where where did you yeah. hit it? Eleven Mile Canyon. Eleven okay. mile. Thirteen mile. Eleven mile. Yep. Eleven mile. <laughs> Um, man, it was just, it was gorgeous and the fish were gorgeous and very agreeable. And, uh, I don't know if I was there like some frequently warm time of year for April, but it was, it was hot. I remember being just in a shirt, no, no like sweater or anything. And, and then I went skiing the next day. It was great. Where'd Colorado was awesome. Where'd you ski? <laughs> well, I, dr- I, I went to Vail. Okay. And, uh, and then after that I made my way to the frying pan and then didn't realize that the frying pan was so close to 
Aspen. Aspen yep. And I was like, well, I'm here, so I, I might as well see what this is all about. <laughs> the frying pan is a great place to fish. It's beautiful and the lots amazing. of fish. Yeah. Amazing, amazing place. Amazing place. And the Roaring Fork was the Roaring Fork was beautiful. Like it's another stunning, stunning river. Um uh I didn't really catch a whole lot of fish in the Roaring Fork, but Eleven Mile and Frying Pan was very awesome for fish catching. <laughs> I have not had much luck on the Roaring Fork myself, although I I kind of like you said, you just never really uh, tried Lakers too much. That's kind of how I feel about the Roaring Fork. I fished it um, a handful of times, but every right. time it's kind of, you know, I'm going to stop for an hour or two before I go somewhere else or something like that. So I don't Got feel it. like I've really dedicated an appropriate amount of time to fishing it. So I don't, I don't want to chalk it up as a river that I don't like or a river that's bad fishing because everything I've heard is that it's fantastic. I just have not spent uh, an adequate amount of time on it. So... I mean, just looking at it, you're like, it, 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 it looks like you're somewhere in New, like, you know, pictures of New Zealand, you know, that you see like, like really gr- like that greeny kind of water yeah. and big boulders. And it was really pretty. I was like, holy shit. I didn't, I had no idea it was so close to, you know, obviously Aspen's right there. And, you know, it's Aspen. It's been in movies. Yeah. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it, <laughs> like it's, it's got an airport. Like it, uh, but I was like, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. It was a cool experience. Colorado's rad. Were you just here to uh, fish and ski, or did you have something else That's that right. you were... Okay. No, just fishing and skiing was great. I was, uh, like, living a trout bum life for, for a month. Yeah, I was telling Mitch, you guys have to make a trip down here when we do some alpine lakes, because um, the oh, rivers are cool. fun. I do love river fishing, but I feel like the alpine lakes are something that's kind of unique to uh, at least this kind of region, being able to get up to 12,000, 13,000 feet uh, and get some of those lakes that are above tree line. And there's some big fish That's in some cool. of those lakes. That's that must be a, an amazing setting. It is. It is. So you sure. like hike up? Yeah. You obviously hike up, or you know, you drive to a point and then walk in, kind of thing. Yeah, usually, usually a lot of hiking, but mm. uh, it's nice because it keeps the crowds away. Mm. Yeah, sick. But anyway, uh, going back to Tomogamy, I talked to Mitch quite a bit about it. But mm. uh, have you guys have you guys been ice fishing up there recently? Like, is it is it already snowy enough to get up and start hitting the ice uh we haven't been up there yet we tend to go up there a lot in january and february uh just because december is a really usually a typically a busy busy month for mm-hmm. all of us in our in our other career like our day-to-day lives um uh but i do know the crew up there and they are ice fishing and it's fishing well they're they already have eight inches of ice on the lake and um uh and they've they've started ice fishing and it looks like they're having a good time <laughs> Like the chef, and there's a there's a there's an awesome food and beverage program there now, and uh, at Tomogamy Outfitting, and um, and the chefs were sending me pics of fish they were catching, nice. like right in, right in front of the basically right in front of the building, which is cool because they're they're right on the water, so um, so it's cool. Yeah, no, we we typically go in January and February when uh, when we know the ice is thick and when we have more free time. Yeah, and um, and uh, that's when we tend to tend to fish the most up there. Um, in in the winter anyway how often do you make it up um well i lived there this summer <laughs> oh i think I, Mitch I, did I, mention that yeah i i i i helped them launch that food and beverage program backgrounds in hospitality and um uh and so i was up there for almost six months straight but in a typical year it's uh you know we'll go up maybe once twice during the winter for like four days at a time and then um, in September we do uh, some hosted trips uh, on some brook trout rivers there. So this year Yilma and I did three weeks straight there in September. So September is a big month for us in Tomogamy. And then we we like going in the we like doing one summer trip because it's fun and it's hot and you can swim and it's you know it's awesome and um, kind of like we'll we'll do like one trip in the spring, one trip in the summer, and then we're there basically for the whole month of September. That's pretty cool. So. Yeah, it's, they've become, you know, like, <clears throat> I would say that they were, well, I don't have to say, they were our very first, like, supporter in, like, from a lodge outfit, outfitter perspective. Um, and so we've all become, I would like to think we've all become friends and, you know, we go to collect concerts together in Toronto and because the couple that owns the, um, that owns it, they live, like, down the street from all of us. And so we, we've, we've all become friends and, uh, and so we go up there as often as we can. We love it up there. It's awesome. Was it just paradise being up there for six months straight? Yeah, well, it was a lot of work. So I don't know if I can say it was exactly paradise, but it was awesome not being in the city during especially this time. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. You know, with, with COVID and whatnot. Um, 
so yeah, it was great. I mean, like, yeah, it was awesome. Like days off spent on, you know, the water, you know, even when you're working, you're in this beautiful setting, um, you know, and everybody who's coming there is there on vacation. So everyone's in like the best mood. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it was cool. And then like also just getting to know the town and people in the town as opposed to like just showing up, going on a camping trip and coming back and just seeing the dynamics of, cause it's not a big town. It's like a thousand people, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was cool meeting community members and especially after having gone up there for, you know, years, year over year kind of thing. Um, yeah, it was cool. How did uh, COVID affect that sort of industry with people coming up, traveling to go fishing? I don't, I, I don't think we uh, really talked about it at all with Mitch or Yelma about um, mm. like what Canada has been like during COVID. Because I, I haven't really been in the loop on what it's like up there. But you know, how, right. how were you guys affected during that? Well, Toronto specifically was the like uh, endured the longest like lockdown. Um, I think for any part of the country. Um, and, uh, and I mean, a lot of it has to do with, we're the biggest city. We have the highest population density. It, you know, it makes kind of makes Naturally, sense. You know? yeah. Naturally, we would probably have more measures than some other places, including Northern Ontario. Um, how did it affect the outdoor industry? Uh, well, uh, I, a lot of some, uh, it affected some Northern Ontario fly in lodges, very, very, like a lot of them actually ended up closing, unfortunately, because they rely on predominantly American clients. And so when the border was closed, that wasn't an option. And, uh, and, but with t- like a place like Tomogamy, which is, or sorry, Tomogamy Outfitting, which is, you know, mainly a backcountry canoe outfitter, um, you know, canoe rentals, shuttling services, guiding services, uh, food services, um, you know, that it was a boon for them. And because, you know, like you, you couldn't, didn't have enough canoes to rent some days, you know, some, some weeks and some days. Cause everyone was like, well, I can't do anything else. I guess I'm going outside. Like right. our outdoor stores here, like, um, uh, MEC, which I guess would be REI for you. Okay. Yeah. You know, like that type of store, their shelves were bare. Like everyone was like, you know, everyone was like, I guess we're going camping yeah. <laughs> and like everybody bought tents and everybody bought canoes and everybody bought just it was the only thing you could do really for a while and uh, and that's what people did and you know stand up paddle boards and mountain bikes like it's it was it's like impossible to buy a mountain bike for a while and so for that like kind of like that self-exploratory type of outdoor industry it was huge for them this is the two busiest years ever for tomogamy outfitting and uh, but you know, on the flip side of that, full service fishing lodges, you know, especially ones that were serviced by a plane, um, it was awful for them. And a lot, actually, a lot of them ended up closing. So the ones that um, were more of a destination experience, those ones did not do as well as the ones who were catering to people who were just driving up and, and making a weekend out of it. Yeah, because, you know, like, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a huge, it's a huge American clientele base. And, and a lot of these lodges, you know, um, you know, they've been around for a while and the, the ownership is, is, you know, been around for a while and they're reliant on, you know, the customer base they've built over, you know, 20, 30 years of operation yeah. and they haven't, you know, the ones that, you know, survived or even thrived were the, are, you know, newer lodges or lodges that, you know, are, have like a hardcore marketing campaign, which, you know, some, a lot of, a lot of these little lodges countrywide, even province wide for sure don't right you know and 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 you know the people that we work with like um i don't know if mitch or yilma mentioned when we go to like we were lucky enough to go to this amazing flying lodge called esnagami and eric and his team there are very you know up on social media marketing you know web-based marketing um and even print like when the you know when the pandemic came along eric's like oh i'm gonna lose 70 percent of my business because americans can't come here I better start marketing to Canadians. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. And, you know, he, you know, I think he didn't do as well as he would have had the border been open, but he almost was at max capacity, which, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, considering, considering the circumstances, I feel like even having 75% your capacity is probably yeah. uh, more than what most companies could expect. Oh yeah. It's amazing. Cause uh, you know, all everything being the same, what I mean by that is if you go to a fly-in lodge in Northern Ontario, the fishing is going to be bonkers. 
like nobody fishes up nobody's fishing these lakes in these rivers right so and if they're man you know if they're managed well like eric's lodges at esnagami you know like he has a he's pretty strict with slot limits and and stuff despite being in literally the middle of nowhere and the fishing's incredible so if the fishing's incredible everywhere well you know you, you don't have to worry about selling that it's just more like you have to worry then you have to worry about selling again and i have to imagine if you've had a lodge for like 20 30 years it's exhausting to have to do that and and the you know the traditional marketing channels of uh fishing shows like going to driving to you know bring you know buying a tent or uh desk space desk space booth space at a at a at a fishing convention which is a lot of where a lot of you know these lodges market normally went away you couldn't come to toronto and set up a booth at the convention center and sell these you know these you know this this amazing trip anymore you know all that went away and it's like okay well all that goes away and all of a sudden you have to do like web-based marketing and you're not used to that and it's like oh my god like no wonder why a lot of them close you know well there's a lot oh i was gonna say i'm sure a lot of them also rely on like repeat customers like they're not too worried about marketing because they're like exactly i don't need uh you know 100 percent new customers i need to get 25 percent new customers and the other 75 percent are people coming back again and again so if if those people go away suddenly it's like i have to come up with a marketing plan that maybe i didn't even need before because i i didn't have to market anybody 100 percent. yeah like you have your base clientele like it's mainly repeat clientele like people like every time we're at esnagami again i can i'm like speaking from a small uh case study i guess you could say but like you know, most people that were there were like, we've been coming here for, you know, 10 years, 15 years, seven years, 20 years. Like, we love it here. Like, we come here every year. Right. <laughs> you know, and and so, yeah, you're right. Like, when that went away for these lodges, it was like, oh, fuck. You know, like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, uh-oh. And you know what? A lot of them, you know, probably were reaching for retirement age anywhere. And they're like, ah, you know what? Let's just sell. Like, what's, what? you know, it's just time. Uh, which might be good and bad. It'll be interesting to see the ne- what like the lodge landscape is in the next three years. Because again, you know, doing what we do, we're trying to highlight Ontario, and and we get to go to these lodges, which is amazing. But uh, we also get to learn about like the fabric of our <laughs> fishing industry in Ontario, which is cool. Like I, I really enjoy that, and uh, so it'll be cool to see how that changes in the next three years. Like, are there new owners? Will lodges look different than they always? did or will they operate in a different way i don't right. know will there be less lodges do people care about going to a lodge i don't know when you wonder how many people who picked up fishing and hunting during covid like how many of those people are going going to stick with it there might be people who needed a hobby that they could do away from their friends and they mm-hmm. do it for a year or two and then they're like ah, I, you know I, I enjoyed it but i don't really need to keep doing it mm-hmm. now that i can go back to the you know bars and restaurants um you know how many people are going to stick with that as a as a lifelong hobby versus uh, just kind of giving it up, selling their gear and never going again. Yeah. Like a, a, it's a fair point. Like what's the retention percentage of people who like, I'm sure some people camped and were like, how have I not been doing this my whole life? But I'm sure a lot of people camped and were like, I cannot wait to never do this. Right. Again. <laughs> I hate this so much. <laughs> like I, I, I definitely know, you know, having again, been up at Tamagami all all summer long, I definitely saw those two types of people. Really? I saw more of the, I saw more of the people who were, we're like, wow, that was an incredible experience. I don't understand why. I've never done that before, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, um, but uh, but there were a few people who were like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe buying a tent was a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, I know those people exist, but I, my, I, I can't help but think, like, how can you go? I mean, I haven't even been to Tamagami, but I, I can 100% guarantee I would love it there just based on the, the things I've heard. Uh, and I just can't imagine how someone could go to a place like that and be like, eh. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's it's like those it's like those alpine lakes, right? It's 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 this it's this place that you know, if you get into if you really do get into the backcountry of Tamagami or I can assume the backcountry of, you know, Colorado, it's a place where time has kind of stood still, you know? Yeah. Like it's still just this it's the same trees and it's the same fish swimming in in the waters, you know, that that have been for hundreds and hundreds of years and for a brief moment of time, you're like uh, immersed in that environment. So yeah, you're right. Like who, who wouldn't walk away from that change? You know. Yeah, that is a really interesting yeah. point. Like if you're in a a city, 
excluding a couple of the cities that are even a couple hundred years old, but um, it is so new. I mean, you can think about how mm-hmm. much has changed even in the past two or 300 years. And you go to some of these other places outdoors and you're just like, wow, this is, you know, things have changed obviously over the, over the centuries, yeah. but for the most part, yeah. I mean, things have been the way they've been for much longer than we can understand as a, as a human yes. mind, you know, our, our mm-hmm. days are measured in minutes and seconds, not uh, thousands and thousands of years. And it is really interesting to think about how it's just, that's how it's looked for, for ages. Um, although in our Alpine lakes specifically, they did not always have fish. Most of them were barren back in the day. They've mostly been stocked with uh, native fish that oh. were native to our rivers. And they've just gone and put them in all those lakes for people to fish for, which, which does seem a little bit, uh, they feel a little bit bastardized having just stocked fish because you feel like they're wild. They seem wild. They're our native fish, but they were not in those lakes historically. And I feel like that's, okay. I, I would assume oh, tomogamy is different than that. If I had to guess, I would guess that those, those lakes have had fish for for ages. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. And uh, there is stocking that happens. Uh, oh, sure, like, sure. There's a, there's a, there's a, you know, there's, there's, and very random. Like, like uh, they, like the ministry stocks some lakes from um, water bombers. So, like, uh, you know, like forest fighting planes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they'll fill their tanks with fish and just dive bomb a lake in the middle of nowhere that nobody could ever get to. And they're like, well, let's stock that one. <laughs> You're like, why? <laughs> You're like, well, okay. But yeah, that's how the ministry stocks these these lakes sometimes. And you're just like, but okay. Like, sure, I guess. I guess it works. Yeah, or you wouldn't do it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know who's going to go fish for those fish, but cool. <laughs> but that's cool. I had no idea. I, I thought, yeah, I had no idea those alpine lakes were. I mean, I'm, now saying that, it's like, right, of course. Like, you know, these are probably, there's probably not a whole lot of life or food happening in those cold lakes right there there is life but it's not as prolific as uh a lot of the lower lakes or the rivers right um there's like scuds and there's there's some hatches minimal hatches but yeah they um are not as productive as they're they're as productive as you'd expect at a lake that high up right. to be um right and I, I could be wrong about this but i think a lot of them were stocked originally as food for miners and stuff that were up there. You know, they put fish in there specifically to feed people who needed fish. And that, I think, has morphed into a a recreational fishery now that they stock for that. And a lot of them, I think, do have uh, sustaining populations of fish at this point, but they also do still stock Mm -hmm. a lot of those lakes. Right. Yeah, I think, actually, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the stocking that happened, at least in Algonquin Park here or whatever, was for rail- railway workers as well for as a food source. I was like, well, let's make sure these fish don't run out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's really interesting. That's cool. So I had two things I wanted to ask you about. And actually, one of them, one of them was brought up by Mitch and one was brought up by uh, Yoma. They both told me to okay. ask you about something that I asked them about. And they were like, ah, Aldo's a person for this. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Uh, Yoma, we were talking about... Um, because he, he was a little bit newer to fly fishing, which I hadn't realized. And um, we were just talking about getting in like deep nerdy into the entomology stuff. And he's like, you should ask Aldo. He really nerds out on the uh, the entomology, the bugs, the flies that match him. Uh, is that true? Or did he make that up about you? Um, I think it's both true and untrue. Like I, 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 I certainly enjoy knowing those things. Okay. Um, specifically like when it comes to like uh i would say so the the river we fish more often than not we mention on the podcast all the time is this this, the credit river it's it's like 40 minutes from from our house and it's a very particular river like it's not like one of your west coast rivers is like jam-packed full of fish you know like our fish the fish population in this river is very low Uh, and that's not to say it can't sustain one it's just for whatever like i mean it's a catch and release river as well but it's not stocked, so um, you know, and and uh, and so, you know, we're we're catching good numbers of fish, but it, it's a, yeah, it's a very particular river, very spooky fish, and uh, so in that river specifically, yeah, getting to know the bugs uh, in it and how they behave, and you know, like the the fish very rarely rise in that river too, so when you see one, like to catch them on dry flies, is 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 this new challenge we've kind of discovered also this year. As we've you know kind of found sections of the river where they tend they they actually are rising, like you would always see like a random rise here or there, but like a pattern feeding yeah. fish. Why is that? Um, is there just not a, a heavy hatch, or do the fish no, pee like, on something else? Or 
there are there are certainly nights where the, it's just exploding with with um it's a very cold river okay so it's 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 a lot of mayflies and stoneflies especially in in the headwaters which is amazing and there's still brook, wild brook trout there and 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 uh you know um it doesn't really get that many caddis which um you know are you know tend to live in water that's a little bit warmer than uh um that, you know where you find stoneflies and mayflies, but unfortunately the river is warming as everything is warming, and uh, you know it used to get this prolific uh, like Canada Day, so July first, uh, Independence Day, July Florida. In that window of July first to fourth, used to get this epic green drake hatch, which doesn't happen anymore. Oh, really? Which Stopped. is too bad because, uh, or it's it doesn't have as it's not as prolific any pro- yeah and and we don't see it too often anymore and, and it's really like hitting the lottery if you find if you if you're on the river at the at that time because it's like that is one time where if you're on that river and that is happening they're going buck wild and the little fish rise like crazy like the little four six inch dinks yeah like little fish do yeah <laughs> yeah like little fish do they go bananas but the bigger fish you know unlike uh you know up you know when I went to Montana or Colorado or whatever, you know, you, you see these very large fish rising very happily, very, you know, uh, in a, in a pattern, you know, and every once in a while, you know, if you stay out late on the credit, this is starting to turn into a huge tangent, but no, no, no anyway, on that, on that river, it's, it's, it's definitely good to know your bugs for sure. And more, more importantly, not, not so much like know your bugs, but know when they're showing up like time of year, time of day um and uh and then i feel like you can but uh entomology uh, not really my thing <laughs> i do like knowing fly patterns though fly patterns different I'm, I'm a little fly obsessed like i have way more flies than i ever use yeah well i think that's that's kind of a common thing like flies yeah. flies are made to sell to anglers not to fish for the most i mean you can yeah exactly. you can have five fly patterns and be just as successful when you go out but it's fun to look in your box Exactly. I think I use 5% of the flies I actually do have. I mean, I use them a lot, but I mean, you know, like the, if I open the fly box, there's, let's say there's like 95 flies, I'm using three of them, you know, over and over again. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think there was a, well, there's a, when I first worked in a fly shop in, in my teens, there was a, a gentleman there who was like the, the resident fly, uh, fly tire. Uh, and he was actually studying entomology at school. So at that point I knew more than I ever did, and I've for, since forgot most of it. <laughs> but I think I've, I've like if I'm if there if I nerd out about anything uh, when it comes to fly fishing, I think it would probably be fish behavior more than and fish habitat. I think more than their food. Even when I was in, you know, like I kind of caught myself in Texas, like we recently were down there fishing for redfish, and the first time we were down there, I was always like, "Whoa, what's that? What's this? I don't know. What's go? Cool? Oh, a dolphin!" Right. But this time, it was like. It was like, you know, it was, I was definitely like more curious about like, oh, why is this fish doing that? Or yeah. like, why, when it ate my fly this way, why did that happen as opposed to that other fish? Like, and then, you know, the guys who were awesome, Matt and Joe, you know, they're like, okay, well, when you see a fish swimming like this, it means it's eating in this kind of way. And if it's doing this, it's eating this thing. And, and learning those behaviors, I think is what, that's what I, interests me anyway. Cause yeah, like, I mean, um, you know, if I'm talking about tomogamy, like you go to the rivers there, you you know the bugs that that are already there because there's only a few that exist up there, you know, kind of thing. So it's like, I, I don't know, but yeah, I no, I guess to answer your question, a very long winded no, I I don't I don't yeah. hear about entomology, but at the same time, yeah, like understanding what they're eating and understanding fish behavior is like the key to success, I think. And I think what's so fun about fishing the Credit River is that it, it is a tough river to fish. So that when you're in a scenario like, you know, I've gone to Pennsylvania or Montana or whatever, it's like, it's like, I'm not trying to say that people don't know how to fish down there, but like, I'm they like, don't have to know as much pretty fucking easy. <laughs> like, like when you're, when you're, when you go from a river that has like, I don't know, a hundred fish for every river mile to a place that has like 20,000 fish per river mile, like the Madison or whatever. It's like, oh my God, you're, you're going to find everywhere. some stupid fish that'll eat anything. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. I'm not saying you don't have tough days down there, but I'm just saying your probability percentage goes up. Right. For right, sure. Absolutely. Just because there are more fish. And I'm sure if the credit chain, if, if, if 
two years from now, the brown trout population explodes for whatever reason, I'm sure people are going to have awesome success. It's just, it's a river we tend to not send beginners because I feel like it would really frustrate you. There's a great tailwater here called the Grand River, which is stocked with browns. And that's a great river to learn on because it's big and there's tons of hatches of caddis and mayflies. And it's like- Your classic fly fishing setup, like what you're looking for. Yeah, it's super fun, you know? Uh, you know the, uh, the And there are big f- fish in there as well, but there's, there's something about fishing a cold, freestone- um, with tricky wild fishes, that's that's kind it's of rewarding. What I like. Yeah, yeah. Yulma mentioned that I don't I don't remember where the context it came up in, but he said something. It was an aside, and he said like, "Oh, the credit," but you know that's that's kind of a different situation than normal. But he didn't really elaborate on why. And now I think I'm gathering like what what it was about the credit that makes it a little bit unique. Yeah, it's 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 the fish behavior. I think I think if you're you know, again, you're always going to have an outlier fish that's going to be like, oh, you show up and it's rising, pattern rising or something, or oh, it's 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 this, or oh, it's that. I think you're always going to have an outlier. But and actually, this year more than ever, there were a lot of rainbows in the river, um, which was interesting. It's you know, um, it's mainly known for its wild brook trout in the West Branch, um, and then in the main stem, it's known for its amazing, big, beautiful brown trout, and um, you know, I'd say that, uh, you know, for a long time, it was a lot of people, you know, it was a, a lot of people catching a very few, very, how can I put this properly? I think a lot of people went there and didn't catch fish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they went to the, the, and then that's why the Grand got very popular and, and, or the Brookies, the Brookies are, you know, the Brookies are, they're Brookies. They're, they're, they're aggressive. They're hilarious. They're the lead in ant in February if you, if you, if you present it to them, you know, and, and so, you know, I, I, a lot of my friends who are curious about fly fishing and, you know, and it's so close to the city, take them on the brookie stretch and it's super fun because you can be like, and this is what dry fly fishing right. is. And then they're like, woo, you know, and you're like, whoa, fun. But yeah, the credit is unique. Like, you know, when I first moved to Toronto, Mitch and I, uh, going back to, you know, growing up in Ottawa, we didn't have trout streams in Ottawa. It was a lot of big, a lot of warm water fishing, uh, bass, pike, et cetera. And if you wanted to do trout, it would probably be a lake, but they didn't have the kind of resources to learn about lake fishing as we do now, you know, sinking lines were just starting to come out. They casted like shit and it was like, ugh, you know? And so we would go fly fishing upstate New York. We would go to the Osable. We would go to to the streams in and around Malone, like the shadow gay and the salmon um, and the marble, which was all amazing, you know, amazing water. And so when I got to Toronto and went to the Credit River for the first time, I was like, oh my God, this has looked like these streams that I've seen in upstate New yeah. York. So you start fishing them like those streams and I knew way less than I do now. And then it was like, okay, one year, you know, like every time, if I, if I caught any fish, like six inch, it doesn't matter. I was like, you know, setting off fireworks. And now we're, you know, we're, we're, I would say this year specifically was definitely our most successful in terms of like larger fish or like consistently going out and catching fish. But like year over year, you start learning the river and you start meeting people and talking to them and, um, and you start realizing that, yeah, first of all, there aren't a lot of, there are more fish than you think, but that doesn't mean there still aren't a lot of fish in that river. And the fish that are there are spooky as hell. And, you know, they come, they feed in a very particular way and, and it's cool learning that. It's cool learning your home water. Oh, yeah. You know? And so I think that's what Yilma would mean by that, where it's like, it's not a river like, it, 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 you know, some people will message us. We're like, hey, love the show. Like, you know, where should we go fishing uh, on the credit? And we won't send them there, not because we don't want them to catch, not because we don't want them to fish there, because we do think it's beautiful. And it would be a great representation of our wilderness. But it's because they're gonna like, they might have a shit time. They might kill it. And it would be amazing. And they'd be like, oh, check this out. We killed it. And it was great. And it was fun. And thanks for sending us there. But so we, we tend to send people not there if we, you know, if we want them to actually have a good time. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, but honestly, since the advent of like more modern techniques, like stream, like, you know, the modern streamer fishing and urinifing and stuff, uh, the, the definitely, there's definitely been higher success rates. But if you, but it, that's what makes that river unique i realize that's that i'm assuming that's what you oh yeah i'm sure that. as you were talking about it i was like it the picture was just forming um because I, I should have followed up with him when he said that but i just assumed it was one of those things that like people just people knew you know what what makes yeah. it unique i was like oh, okay it's just gonna it's one of those different rivers but 
Well, it's also unique because it's it's barely barely 40 kilometers away from my house right now, which is a city of 5 million. And then, you know, after that, there's a suburb of 1 million people. And then it's 15 minutes away from a suburb of 500,000 people. And then here is this tumbling, you know, roaring freestone river with wild trout in it with a strain of brook trout that have been there for hundreds of years. And so if there's anything unique about that river, it's that it's that I'm in like, I'm in like, you know, I'm, I live right, right close to like Chinatown and I can go from my house here, you know, and then go, you know, finish the work day and then go fish for, for trout, wild trout at the end of the day. So if there's any, if the most unique aspect of it and why it's so special, I think that's why it's so special. I was like, how is that still happening? <laughs> I had no idea. Do you say Toronto has 5 million people? Yeah, with all of its like, uh, like it, what's called like the Greater Toronto Area, which is like the amalgamation of all the of all the uh, Toronto proper has just we're just shy of three million. I would not have guessed that. Like, I don't know what I would have guessed, but I I want to say Denver has under a million, and I would have guessed that Toronto is very comparable to to Denver. We're like um, Chicago size. Wow. I mean, I've been to Toronto, but I guess I just didn't realize how big it actually was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're very similar to Chicago in terms of like, <laughs> not uh, uh, quality of architecture, but um, but in terms of like size of population and kind of like, I've been to Chicago several times. It feels the same. Um, other other question I wanted to ask you based on something that uh, Mitch said. So that was that was Yilma's reference to you. He said that you're into the entomology, mm. and to be fair, he didn't say that you're uh, you know super deep into the science of entomology. He just said that you're. More into the fly selection, matching, matching whatever's yeah, hatching, for sure. whatever, things like that. Uh, and Mitch, I had I asked him about cocktails because I saw online that he really likes cocktails, and so I was asking like, "Oh, are you the you know are you the camp bartender?" And he was like, "No, you need to talk to Aldo because he is a bartender, and you know he seemed to enjoy the consumption of the cocktails." I, I think I asked him like, "What part of it does he like the most?" Was it the crafting, the experimentation with the recipes? And he's like, I like the effect of alcohol on my body. <laughs> 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 so so he said to ask you about kind of the more nitty gritty uh, side of um, drink crafting and bartending and stuff like that. So I just wanted to hear, you know, how does that, does that factor into your fishing at all? Do you, do you like to incorporate the two? Uh, do you make cocktails specifically for fishing? Like how, how does that work? Are those... Are those uh, two parts of your life that awesome bring questions. together? Yeah, those are awesome questions. I think, um, well, first of all, I think Mitch is selling himself short a little bit. Like, uh, you know, I think one of Mitch's greatest uh, qualities is his curiosity. And, uh, and, and he loves cocktails and he loves cocktail culture, especially tiki drinks. And, uh, and he's built himself quite a little bar at okay. home. And he <laughs> loves learning about making drinks and he's actually pretty good at it. Um, uh, maybe not professionally, but like, uh, but you know, he makes a good drink. Mitch makes makes a good drink. Um, I guess to answer your question, there's a few ways about answering that question, but um, I think in general we've decided to like in like because we've all been well, Mitch and I specifically have been fishing for over 20 years. <laughs> like we 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 don't really stress about unless it's like for a photo shoot or like for a, a specific shoot, we're not really stressed about catching things anymore. Uh, if it happens, it happens. And it usually does because, you know, we've been fishing for so long and that's not to be arrogant. I just mean like, finally we seem to after 20 years know what we're doing. <laughs> it took 20 years, but we figured it out. So food, food, yeah. So food, you know, like food is a big part of our lives. Like for Yilma, Mitch and I, like, um, you know, Mitch's background is Portuguese. Yilma comes from, uh, you know, Tobago and I'm Italian and food is something we all enjoy and talking about and, and cooking it for each other. And so is, uh, and, 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 you know, drinking has been as well, whether it's uh, beer or cocktails or wine. So, you know, um, uh, so yeah, we've started, you know, we've, we do little camp cocktails now, which is super fun. Uh, especially when we're camping because we don't have to drive right. later. <laughs> and um but especially when we're camping or if we're overnighting in the cars somewhere, uh -huh. then yeah, definitely. we we'll we'll bring, you know, we'll fill the Yeti with some pre batched cocktails and 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 go for it. We find that that's a good move. Don't bring glass bottles with you, you know, around the campfires. Everybody seems to know. Yeah. But like, yeah, we'll 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 mix up some cocktails and 
beforehand in our in our yetis so that they're like ready ready to go do you have a favorite fishing cocktail like if, if you had to share um you know something for, yeah. for people to to partake with you and share in the the aldo fishing cocktail experience like what what's your go-to okay. cocktail well okay so here's here's i mean oh wow what a question i mean my favorite cocktails are those with with like any cup type of juice but of course introducing any type of juice or fresh thing fresh things spoil so if you're on a multiple day camping trip it's not maybe advisable to bring like a margarita with you even though i think you could argue that margaritas are my favorite cocktail okay so a cocktail the best camping cocktail in my opinion is one that's made with spirits and only spirits because it doesn't spoil you don't have to worry about it going off you know and so a very dear friend of mine, his name's Nick Kennedy, he runs an amazing bar here called Civil Liberties. And he got into the outdoors and, you know, he was like, oh, take me, take me fly fishing. So we, he's, 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 he's turned into really loving fly fishing. And, and on one of our recent camping trips, uh, he brought an old pal, which is one of my favorite all time drinks. And an old pal. Oh, I didn't know that was is, the drink. <laughs> I thought you meant he just brought a guy along. <laughs> no, it's a good, oh yeah, that's right. And he brought, <laughs> that is what it sounded like. Uh, no, Old Pal is a cocktail, and, uh, and which, with a great name, because you make you know you tend to go fish you know fishing buddies turn sure, into old pals sure. really quickly, and so it's equal parts uh, uh, whiskey, um, usually rye, um, uh, Campari, and dry vermouth, and uh, garnished with a little twist of lemon, and a little bit of whiskey and that bitterness from the Campari and 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 the sweetness of the vermouth at at the end of a day of fishing is. Pretty awesome around a campfire. Okay. I'm going to have to give this a try. I don't think I've ever had an old pal. So I'll have to make one and old maybe take a picture and send it to you and let you know that I'm out on the, out on the water enjoying one. Well, if you're in Denver, you've got some pretty wicked cocktail bars in in Denver. Oh, are you up and to so date on the uh, Denver cocktail scene? Yeah, it's a pretty innovative scene, to be honest. Like it's it's a it's a it's a it's a wicked place to 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 go drink to go get drunk. Everybody, go to Denver and get drunk. Um, but uh, but no, you actually do have world you know world class bars in Denver, and you know you you could probably go to some places and get some pretty good old pals. That's that's funny. Um, you mentioned that because I I've definitely been to cocktail bars in Denver, but um, Colorado in general just has such a uh, an air about it of of microbreweries, mm. you know, beer is is such a Colorado staple um, that that's what comes to mind. Like if I think of Colorado alcohol, what I'm thinking of is local breweries. I mean, I've probably got ten breweries within fifteen minutes of me, uh, and that's the case just all across, all down the Front Range, and even in the mountain towns. Like you can't go anywhere without running into breweries everywhere. So I wouldn't have thought of it as a cocktail place just because of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you're probably right. Like, I mean, when I was driving around Colorado, like, it's a lot of breweries. It's a lot of breweries here too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, Denver. Denver has a great, great cocktail scene, great restaurant scene, actually, too. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, being in the hospitality business, you probably know where the hot spots are. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've actually never, again, I've never been to Denver, so I haven't had the opportunity to explore it myself. But, um, but I have a lot of friends that go there quite often, and um, and they love it, and they love it. Huh. So next time you go out. If you go out and if you want to drink a cocktail, yeah, try an old pal. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to search one out and uh, maybe take one on the river. Oh, yeah. They don't spoil. That's the big thing. It's like you don't have to worry about them going up. Alcohol rarely goes bad. But a margarita, <laughs> if, if you've alcohol. got access to a truck and a cooler, it sounds oh. like. Oh, my God. A margarita. <laughs> like, give, give me a break. Like, we were drinking margaritas like crazy in Texas. Oh, I'm awesome. sure. I'm sure that's got a big margarita scene there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in uh, when we were fishing in Mexico, that was, you know, margaritas are who doesn't love a margarita is beer your thing like you love beer beer is usually what i'm drinking in the water although nice. i've i've thought about moving away from it just because the weight the if, if i'm wearing waders in the summer not an issue if i'm wearing waders though the uh the bathroom situation makes beer less desirable so uh trying to move mm. a little bit more toward just whiskey in a flask or something like that instead uh because it limits yeah. the amount of liquid entering my body <laughs> awesome but, yeah, I mean, uh, we can we can get wrapped up. Um, I I've, sure. I had Mitch plug you guys, and then I had Yilma plug you guys, but Yilma forgot the plugs, so he had to go searching for him. So I'm gonna have you plug a third time, nice. and we can see who had the best <laughs> the best plug segment. Yilma. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's it's cool being a guest on a podcast after doing so many podcasts ourselves. And um, I can't wait to hear Mitch and Yilma's interview. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, uh, but yeah, you can find we're the SoFly crew. We're from Toronto, Ontario. We try to rep Ontario as much as we can. Um, you can find all of our content at SoFly.ca, S-O-F-L-Y.ca. Our handle on Instagram, which we're probably the most active on, is uh, at the SoFly crew. Um, we do have a TikTok, <laughs> uh, seldom used, uh, but it is also the SoFly crew. Um, and we do have a, a, a YouTube channel, of course, which you can find from our website at SoFly.ca, but uh, it's also SoFly. Everything's SoFly. And if you want to reach out to us for whatever reason, uh, we're, uh, our email is info at SoFly.ca. And that's my plug. I am going to give you the number one spot. I think you were the most comprehensive. I don't think anyone else mentioned TikTok. So I'm going to give you first place in the, the plug category. <laughs> right on. Great. <laughs> All right, Aldo. Uh, this is a ton of fun. I uh, really appreciate it. And I, I'm looking forward to trying my first old pal. I'll let you know when that happens. Yeah. And two things. One, we got to come down there. Yes. Also, Mitch and Yelma have never fished out west, which is like a sin. So he's, they've got to fish the mountains. Two, um... We gotta have you up here. You gotta, you gotta see. You gotta come to Tomogamy and paddle some lakes and fish some wild rivers. I would love to hit Ontario. I think I was telling Mitch. Um, I grew up on the eastern side of the U.S., so Ontario feels feels like home to me. I've I've spent a decent amount of awesome. time not in the the wilderness areas of it, but uh, you know, been to Toronto uh, and some of southern Ontario. So it, it feels like home, and uh, I definitely want to make make some time to go there and do some fishing because I think it would be fantastic. Oh yeah, it's great. It's great, and you can do whatever you want. We can fish for trout, bass, pike, musky. All the above doesn't matter. <laughs> it's all it's all here. It's all here. All right. Well, I will let you get on with your evening. But uh, once again, I appreciate all you guys taking the time. Um, you're you're all so fun. I love your show. You're so oh, easy thanks. to talk to, fun to hang out with, fun to listen to, and I just can't thank you enough. Oh no, no, that thank pleasure ple- pleasures ours, and and thank you right back. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, Don't forget to head over to the website, fishuntamed.com, for all episodes and show notes. And also, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. That'll get my episodes delivered straight to your phone. And also, if you have not yet, please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review. That's very helpful for me, and I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, Other than that, thank you guys again for listening, and I will be back in two weeks. Bye, everybody. places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.